You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab one and turn to Genesis chapter 4. Guess my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. And uh, we're going to continue in our series of the book of Genesis, which we have titled uh, God's Story of Creation to Restoration. And we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say. And uh, we believe the Bible uh, is God's word revealed to us, and it has something to say. So we submit our lives uh, to it. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, this is a place for you to ask questions. It's a safe place for you to see who God's people are and what God calls his people uh, to do and the kind of people they are called to be. And so we are glad that you are here this morning. So to start, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt far away from God? Have you ever felt far away from God? Why is that? If we, if we think back, why would we feel far away from God? And I, and I do think there's multiple reasons that that could be the case, that we feel that way. Again, feelings are not facts, but feelings are, can be an expression of what's going on inside of us. And what we feel, Why? Why would we feel that God is not near to us? Oftentimes, it's because of our sin. It's because of unrepentant sin. It's because of, of not confessing that sin. And it feels like God is far away from us. And church, what we need to know is that sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from the holy God that we just sang about. Sin has done something to our relationship with God. And as we walk through, we're going to go through the whole chapter of Genesis chapter 4 this morning, a story that you know, at least the first half. Why do we feel far away from God? Because sin has separated us. So, so as we walk through this chapter, this passage, here's what we're going to see. The line of Cain is not the promised seed. As Cain gives in to sin, he murders his brother. We come off of Genesis chapter 3. There's the promise of Genesis 3.15 that there will be a seed who crushed the head of the serpent, but it's not going to be Cain. I don't really have to tell you that because you know the story. But God does not want us to be separated. God wants us to be with him through confession and repentance. And so if you're a disciple today, here's what you need to know. Sin will continue to further separate us from God. But in Christ, we are enabled to truly worship him again. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the story together. I'm just, I want to read it to you. I want you to hear it. We're not going to put it up on the screen. I want you to look in your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can grab one of those hardcover Bibles in front of you and turn to page 3. I want you to look at God's Word. I want us to be in God's Word together. So we're going to walk through it. 
I'm going to make some comments. And then after the story, I want to come back and show us a couple things that come out of the story. So I want you to notice what the characters do and specifically what the Lord does and what the Lord does not do. Okay? So look there at verse 1. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. So this, understand, this is the last section, the last episode of this generation. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 4, it said these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And that's going to be really important. And As we start next week, it's going to be really important that we understand these generations that flow from these from Adam and from Noah and so on. And so this is the last story. But everyone's familiar, as I said, with this story. But Moses is making a particular point in chapter 4 that sin fully separates us from God. So look at verse 2. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. Notice here that the author is going to Compare and contrast Cain and Abel. Notice that. Abel was a shepherd. Cain worked the ground. Look at verse 3. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering. And now Moses has something specific. Some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Notice the difference. Then the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering... Notice that they're connected. But he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. You may ask, why in the world does God have regard for Abel's offering and not Cain's? Why would God like one over the other? And the details, I think it's, it's, it's possible for us to understand that Abel gave the firstborn, the fatty portion. It demonstrated his faith in God, that God would provide again. Even if he gave his best animal, it was going to be not repaid, but provided for another way by God. And understand, Abel wanted to please God because he trusted him. But look how Cain responds. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. I don't know about you, but you know, three three-year-olds don't hide their emotions very well, so when they're frustrated. You know it. You know, you know that they're frustrated and they like to throw their arms down and tell you that they don't like what you just told them, especially when they hear that word no. Um, it's fantastic. If you ever want to see emotion, just say no to your children. Parents, can I get an amen? So Cain, in the same way, you can see his emotion. You can see his emotion. And, and God, God sees this. But like a gracious father, he comes to Cain. He goes to Cain. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? God said the situation is fairly simple. It isn't difficult. If Cain would sacrifice in faith, his offering would be accepted. God graciously warns Cain, Why are you furious? And he warns Cain about the direction that he's going. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. 
but you must rule over it. Moses personifies sin. He said sin is like an animal, like a lion, maybe the serpent from Genesis chapter 3, crouching at the door, ready for when you open it, for you to be devoured, for you to be attacked. Sin is powerful. Sin is overwhelming. And it will overwhelm Cain. You know the story. Look at verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. Now, now, just for a moment, this statement, let's go out into the field, it doesn't have the full weight that it normally does. Uh, at least it wouldn't have in, uh, in the Hebrew culture. This, this phrase is actually like the thriller music. Da-na-na-na. You know, like in its building, right? The, the Israelites would have known this phrase because it's in the law. It can, what happens, God connects murder to the field because it's premeditated. So, so look here. It's, it's the same. So in that while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This was premeditated. They knew. The Israelites knew this was coming. Just like for whatever reason, that I think it's the Geico commercial. They're like running away from the, from, uh, the, the killer and they, they go into the shed with all the chainsaws. Right? They knew, they, we know what's going to happen. Israel understands. They know that in this moment, Cain was going to give way to his sin. And sin, as God promised, has now grown up and become death. It's become murder. Verse 9, the Lord steps in. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? God goes after Cain. And you know the famous response. Am I my brother's keeper? If, you, if you're a brother and you have a brother, great line to have in your back pocket. I don't know where he's, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know, he replied, and am I my brother's guardian? But what's ironic here is that is Cain his brother's keeper? We can have that discussion, but Cain is responsible for his brother's death. And so it's lost on him. Verse 10, then, he's, then God said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground like a witness in the courtroom, as evidence to be held up. God says, your brother's blood is testifying to me of what you have done. And it points directly, that blood points directly at Cain. Look at God's response. So now you are cursed and alienated from the ground and opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. Literally, the blood of your brother is on your hands. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer over the earth. God now curses one of his own people. Someone who is made in his image and likeness. This is the first time that a person is cursed. And Cain will not be allowed to do what he was called to do. To cultivate and keep and to work. The ground will not yield produce or fruit or other things to him. For Cain, the ground now experiences a double effect of the curse. That it was cursed because of Adam, and now it's cursed because of his son. Look at verse 13. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. 
since you are banishing me from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Time out. Who's Cain talking about? Who's going to kill him? We're not totally sure. We don't have all the answers here. Obviously, there were more people than just Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel at this point. But Moses is writing something for us to understand. He's writing a point here, and he's moving us to that point. Okay, so look at verse 15. And the Lord replied to him in that case, what, what God says, no way. No way. Whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain. We're not sure what that mark is. It's not a tattoo. That's not what's going on here. So whoever found him would not, ki- would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The son of Adam, made in the likeness of God, has now been cursed. And he leaves the presence of God and is separated from him even further. The name of the land of Nod, it means wandering. And so Cain goes to a place of wandering. And notice, Cain leaves God. God does not leave him. The response of Cain's sin is to leave the presence of God. Now, this is, now let's continue in the story. Maybe, maybe part of the story that you don't know or are not as familiar with. Look at verse 17. Cain leaves. Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. Arab was born to Enoch, and Arab fathered Mahusiel, and Mahusiel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech. You might think, why in the world is Moses putting a genealogy here right in the middle of the story? It's not odd, it's important. You see, the genealogy ends on Lamech, who's going to be the main character of this section. And he's going to be a part really important at the end of the story. Now Moses is doing two things. Right? He's highlighting the complete separation from God and the complete wickedness of Lamech, which we're going to see in just a moment. Lamech is the seventh son of Adam, showing the complete nature that sin has fully ravaged God's people. But also, he's going to be a comparison for us next week in chapter 5. So what does Lamech do? Look at verse 19. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. And so Lamech, he totally ignores God's command for marriage. He takes two wives. Verse 28, aboard Jabel, and he was the first of the nomadic herdsmen, and his brother was named Jubel, and he was the first of all who played the lyre and the flute. And Zillah bore Tubal Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. And Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. Now notice here for just a moment, even in sin's separation from God, these people in God's grace, is a, they're able to build a city, they're able to have a culture, they're able to do things that could be good. God allows them to build and cultivate. But Lamech, here this should be separate in your Bibles. You should see this, there should be space there in your Bibles. Look at what Lamech says. He said to his wives, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, 
again, highlighting that he has done this, that he is the one taking two wives. Pay attention to my words. For I killed a man for wounding me, a young man. That's a young lad, no more than a teenager. Notice the violence. And why? For striking me. Literally for bruising him. He kills him. And he says, if Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then Lamech it will be 77 times. This poem is the epitome of sin and its separation from God. Cain leaves the presence of God, and what happens is the people, his descendants, they grow further and further and further and further away. They don't need God, and sin has corrupted this line. And it's clear that sin is going to continue to further the separation. It's going to further the brokenness. It's going to further the tragedy. Sin separates us from God. So I want, to, I want to take a step back and I want to show you four results of sin's separation. Four results of sin's separation. Result number one, false worship, which leads to God's rejection. Sin separation leads to false worship. And when we come to the story of Cain and Abel, we're, we're so used to the, to the story that we forget or we overlook the details in the story. We take for granted what's important and what Moses is trying to teach us. For instance, why does God have regard for Abel's offering? I told you it was faith. And we can see in the passage that Cain is furious and despondent. Obviously, he did not like that Abel's sacrifice was received and accepted, but his was not. And we must look at Abel, and we can see here in the passage, we understand at some level there's a faith and a trust. But if we're going to be good Bible readers, what does the Bible say about Abel? Well, the book of Hebrews mentions Abel. Right? He's in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And it tells us why the sacrifice was accepted. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man. Because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Abel offered his sacrifice in faith, knowing God would provide. Right, there's a difference here. It's faith. Abel has faith in God. That he will, is good. That he is for him. In some ways, he's a, he's a, con, a contrasting of his parents. Right? God is going to provide, even if Abel gives everything he has. And so for Cain, his sacrifice was half-hearted. It wasn't done in faith. And he held back his best produce just in case God didn't come through. This was the form of false worship. I'm going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to go through the motions so that God will be appeased. Now think of the instructions for worship in the law. If we were to go through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we, we see... Uh, how the temple is built. We see all these beautiful instructions. It's very detailed about how God should be worshipped. God deserves to be worshipped because he's the God of the universe. He's creator, sustainer. He's the maker of the heavens and the earth. And if he deserves to be worshipped, he deserves to be worshipped the way that he prescribes. True worship is done in the way that God has asked us to. 
We don't, we don't get to make it the way that we want it. We don't get to talk about the things that we want to. We don't get to bring what we think is best. No, God tells us what is best. And he's done that in his word. True worship, true sacrifice is done in faith that God is good and God deserves to be praised. And now think about this from Cain's perspective. Why doesn't he listen to God's warning? Even further, why wouldn't Cain want to please God? Think about it. If you have a boss, right? If, if you do a project for your boss and you, you show him the project and he's like, yeah, I, I, you missed the mark there. You missed the mark on that report. You missed the mark on, on that demonstration. You missed the mark on uh, that, that patch in the software. Whatever it is, your boss isn't happy. Now, how often have we been frustrated and been despondent in that way? But we should be willing to say, okay, what can I do to plead? What, what can I do to make it better? That's what Cain's response should have been. That's what our response should be. He should ask, how can I fix this? Cain doesn't do that. Why? Because Cain is selfish. He has no desire to please God. And we're going to see that as we continue in these observations. So sin separates us and it hinders our ability to worship God rightly. And it causes us to mistrust Him and to be selfish. But it leads to a, to a second result. It leads to murder. It leads to murder which leads to God's justice. Although it's clear that Cain does not want to please God, neither does he have regard for his brother. Right? In fact, he becomes bitter towards his brother because his offering was accepted. Right? Cain's anger leads him to premeditated murder. And if you remember, what did God say would happen when Adam and Eve ate from the tree? Death. Genesis chapter 4 is in concert with Genesis chapter 3. Death enters the world through sin. So much so now that sin is separating us from God and it, and it enables us to murder someone in God's image. This is a direct consequence of our sin. As I said, this was premeditated. Cain meant to kill his brother. Right? It, you know, it's not like, hey, you're playing with, with, your, with your siblings and you're, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and you, and you hit your brother in the mouth, and he's bleeding, and you're, like trying to, you're trying to like fix it, make sure, you know, he's crying, and you're trying to make sure nothing's wrong. No, Cain, it's done. It's over. This is what Cain meant to do. And he kills his brother. Sin has grown up into death. And to be good Bible readers, what, what does the Bible say about Cain? Well, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, he says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. John seems to believe that Cain was evil. He was wicked. It was sin in his heart. And this leads him to murder. And he also says that Abel's deeds were righteous. But he also, he also makes a very important distinction here. Right? He says, who was the, of the evil one. He was of Satan. 
So John makes the connection that Cain is not the seed of the woman. Cain is the seed of the serpent. The battle of good and evil rages on. And there is something deep here. Look at the curse back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed. God's curse is connection not just to sin separation, but also to Satan. Satan was was cursed to move on his belly, on the ground. Cain will not be able to, to yield anything from the ground. Cain is the seed of the serpent. And he is, his line is evil. And so God's curse is a connection to the serpent. And God curses Cain because he murders innocent life, and that innocent life demands God's justice. It demands so much that God curses humanity. The ground that received the blood of Abel will no longer yield anything to Cain. Our God is a good and righteous God. And therefore, he will punish sin. Our holy God, who cannot be in the presence of sin, has to punish sin. He has to, because he's righteous and he's just. And so God curses Cain. So sin separation leads, leads to death, and it leads to even to murder. But it, there's something else going on in Cain's heart, which brings us to our third result. No repentance, which leads us away from God's presence. Now, God has to punish sin, and he curses Cain, but what does God want? Before he curses Cain, he offers him an opportunity to confess, just like he did with Adam and Eve. Like a gracious father, God is offering Cain a chance, but Cain doesn't take it. He doesn't repent. He doubles down in his sin. In light of God's curse, Cain, even, even after God asks, what have you done? No repentance. God curses him. No repentance. But look at verse 13. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Does that sound like, does it sound like repentance to you? No. It, sound like, it sounds like Cain doesn't like his consequences. He's only sorry for the situation. He's not sorry for God's mercy. But, but in God's mercy, God responds to his request. I want you to pause here and see what God actually does. God responds to this. In God's mercy, God responds to Cain. Abel was one of God's children. His life had been taken. God could have re took, taken revenge on Cain and wiped him off the face of the earth, but he doesn't. Mercy number one. Mercy number two God did not have to protect him. God did not have to put a curse on, a mark on Cain. He shows mercy to him. We see God's character and his action. Although sin continues to separate us from God, God does not change. God is still merciful. And because there is no repentance, Cain now ends further away from God than he's ever been. Eve said, I've had a son with the help of the Lord. God is clearly there. 
And now Cain leaves. And Cain is separated from God. Sin separates us from God. But repentance leads us back to Him. Like a good father, with his arms wide open, he's asking us, come and repent and confess. And he wants to wrap his arms around us. The lie of sin is that God doesn't want anything to do with you. That's, that, that's what sin's lie is. Once it happens, Satan begins to tempt us. Hey, you did that. God doesn't want to hear from you anymore. But God is like a good father who opens his arms, who now receives his children back when they confess and repent of their sin. You, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer used this illustration. He said, if you get on the wrong train, go in the wrong direction, it's no good to keep running on the train to the end of the train because you're still going in the wrong direction. You've got to get off the train. We have to get off the train by stopping the sin and confessing it. And then going in the other direction, repenting of that sin. And God is there. He's waiting, on, he's waiting at, the, at the train station. But you just got to get off the train. Are we going to get off the train? Or are we going to try to try to figure out in our own ways or are we going to repent to God sin separates us from God and it hinders true repentance but it leads us to our fourth and maybe most devastating result of separation and sin arrogance sin leads to arrogance which leads to rejecting God's ways Cain's separation from God was not an individual action Right? He had consequences on all of his children. Moses is showing us that there is no hope in the line of Cain. The promised seed is not coming from him. And just, just as a primer for the rest of Genesis, what happens is, is God shows us the promised line. What he does is he zooms in on the, the line that's not going to have the promise. And so that's what he does here. He, he, he shows us that this isn't the promised uh, line, and this, it gets worse. Sin begins to destroy things. He wants us to see how bad this line actually is. And therefore, how bad humanity can actually be. And we see that Cain's children, he has children, and they build a city. He, he names the city after his son. But this isn't in response to God's mandate. It's response to Cain's arrogance. Right? It, isn't to, it isn't to advance God's ways, it's to advance Cain's ways. That's why he names the city after his son. The term city implies the arrogance. What do I mean by that? Don't think of a city like New York City or L.A. or Chicago or something. The city in the Old Testament is fortified. It can protect itself. There's walls. There, there's an army of some kind. And so what Moses is saying is that Cain's separation led to arrogance and that arrogance of an entire city. You see, they are protected and they don't need God. They have no need of Him. But what about us today? Do we trust God in the way that Abel trusted God? Or do we not have to trust God because we have it better in some way? To believe that our cars and our technology and our jobs and all these things, they, they give us security. In the same way that, that that city wall did. 
do we trust God? We've been fooled into believing that we are in control, that we don't need God, that we can wake up and we can work and have a family and do all the things and, and, and go on vacation and do all the things that we want, and we're fooled into believing that we are in control and that we don't need God. That's what this city believed. But not only were the people affected by the arrogance, the culture was too. Notice there's music and occupation and tools. This city has a, has a culture. And that's what God called us to do in Genesis chapter 2. Right? People were called to this to bring the earth to its full potential, to, to produce services and products and things to help other people to love our neighbor and to honor God. But this isn't what happens. This city, with its own culture, begins to disregard God's ways. Look. We see it first in marriage, right? Lamech is the seventh son, and he, he, he's completely wicked. And he, he tells us that he has two wives. He has no regard for God's commandment or, his, or God's word on marriage. The unity and purity of marriage in the garden is now only a distant memory, which Lamech has no use for. And we, we, what we're going to see in Genesis is polygamy is a disaster, it's not good. Someone to point to polygamy in the, in the Bible as a way to discredit its truth. The Bible never condones polygamy, not one single time. In fact, it goes at great lengths to show you how terrible it actually is. It never works out. It's never good. And Genesis is going to show us the, the consequences of disregarding God's design for marriage. But there's also a disregard for life. That disregard turns into a deeper desire of boasting and violence. And Lamech even writes a poem. Maybe it's a rap. I'm not sure. He, he, he writes something to proclaim, look at me. He murders. As I told you, the text says, this is a young boy. This is not a man for bruising him. Lamech's arrogance culminates when God put a mark on Cain to protect him, Laman says, I don't need God. Anyone wants to come after me, let him be avenged 70 times 70 or 77 fold. I can do it myself. I can protect myself. That's how boastful he is. People separated from God leads to arrogance, which leads to further separation and ultimately, it leads to disregarding God's ways. And let me be very clear. There are plenty of people, I used to be one, who disregarded God's ways. Don't need God. We have no, we have no need for God in any way, shape, or form. That's the belief. And here's the thing. People who die separated from God will get what they want for eternity. And I mean that. People will get what they desire for eternity. If you do not know God, you will get that forever. That's how serious sin is. Arrogance leads us to rejecting God's ways. We live not, not in a time too different from the city of Lamech. Our time and place, our culture disregards both of these things. Marriage, 
There's more cohabitation. There's more premarital sex. There's more of these things that go on all the time. We disregard the foundation of marriage. It is, it is our time and place. Why? Because we're arrogant and we don't think we need God. We disregard life. All ages. But especially the unborn. Whether we're apathetic about the unborn or we have a, the culture of death in our country with abortion, whatever it may be, we disregard this as well. And God's people are called to not be separated from Him, but to be in relationship with Him and therefore influence God's world for His good and for our neighbor's good. Lamech is fueled with arrogance. But what about us? A pastor said this, if you've experienced God's sovereign grace, it should be absolutely humbling to you and cause you to worship. When you display arrogance as a Christian, you have not worked God's amazing grace deep down into your soul. Arrogance leads us far away from God. But for those of us who have received Christ, arrogance should never be a response that we have. Ever. And you look at Lamech and you look at this city and you're like, well, what's going to happen? What's God going to do from here? Well, look there at verse 26. Or 25. Look at 25. Adam was intimate with his wife again. There's God's grace. And she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another offspring, again grace, in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. There's no hope in the line of Cain. There's no hope in the line of the serpent that will only cause destruction but the Lord provides a son to Adam and Eve, and his name is Seth. God was quiet. Notice, God was quiet in that whole second half of the chapter. And you might think, where is he? Sin takes its full effect on God's good creation. But God is still at work. Just because, God, just because we don't see God working doesn't mean he isn't. Just because we don't see God working doesn't mean he isn't. Think about it this way. Connor has learned to climb the stairs of our home. And anytime we leave the gate down, he likes to scurry over there and he starts to crawl. And anytime you go and get him, I mean, you pull him off the stairs, he's smiling from ear to ear. He's like, look what I've done. I'm, I can go, right? And then sometimes we actually let him crawl uh, up the stairs. And I'm waiting there. I'm kind of behind the banister and I'm looking at him. And he thinks, oh, I got this. I'm good. Until he begins to, you know, begins to wobble and he begins to fall over and, you know, we grab him. Or think about it with uh, a baby monitor. Our children are in rooms and they don't, they think that we're not there. Physically, we're not. But those baby monitors show us what's happening. So when our children need us, we're able to get up and move and work towards them. In the same way, just because we don't see God working doesn't mean that God is not. God's doing something. God's working his creation to be restored. We just may not know about it. God is still at work. 
And as we walk through Genesis, we're going to be waiting for this promised seed, but we don't have to wait for the promised seed. God has proven his faithfulness to us because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the promised seed who crushed the head of the serpent. That Jesus was born of a virgin, of the Holy Spirit, who lived a perfect life in our place that we could not do. That sin that separated Cain and his line has separated us too. But Jesus, being born of Eve and the Holy Spirit, was not separated by sin. He was perfect. God's son, able to live God's ways. But he was crucified in our place to die for us. And he was buried. And then three days later, he was raised to new life. He is the promised seed who conquers Satan, who conquers death, and offers us new life. Cain took his brother's life, but Christ gave his life for us, his brothers and sisters. Abel's blood called out for justice, but Christ's blood offers mercy and forgiveness. Grace through faith, our faith in Christ enables us to true, lasting, and loving worship. In Christ and his sacrifice, we're enabled to worship God truly. As he says in John 4, we will worship him in spirit and in truth. We do not have to be weighed down by false worship, selfishness, pride, or arrogance. Jesus gives us a new heart. One who deeply desires to please God over everything else in the world. Sin will always further separate us from God. But in Christ, you are invited to worship God and experience Him forever. Would you pray with me? God, we are in all of who you are, but also in all of the, the devastation of sin, that we come to this story and oftentimes we minimize what sin actually does. But, and there are times that we often, we, we, we take for granted what Christ has done in response to this sin. And so God, I, I ask that you would help us realize the power of sin but realize that, that in Christ, you demonstrate your power over sin. And then we can live righteously. We can live by faith, just like Abel did. That in Christ, we do not have to be separated from you, but we've been brought near to you and able to truly worship. So God, we need you to remind us. Would you use this church family to remind each of us? Would we help each other walk in these ways? Would we be a people that demonstrate a different kind of life, one that is fully dependent on you and that walks in what you've asked? God, we love you. Let me ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.